Hello Internet, my name's Jonathan Cook. And my name's Matt Noble. And we've got a pretty special episode of Screen Verdict this week. Yeah, no, it's very exciting. I'm very, very pumped for this one. Busy, busy time in the industry. And we're yeah. in the industry. Yeah, we've got uh, a podcast. Yeah, we've got a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's our busy season. Yeah. It's the 84th Academy Awards. Yes. The Oscars, yeah. the big one. Yeah, so we're doing an Oscar podcast where we're going to talk about all the races. I think people like the awards. I think people were a bit worried when you said all the races. <laughs> How long is this podcast going to be? <laughs> okay, the races people care about. We're going to talk about those ones. Um, and we've got a very special guest today for our podcast. People like it when we've got a guest. Indeed we do. Would you like to introduce him, Matt? Who do we have? I would. Well, he's uh, the head of goldderby.com, the founder of that website, which uh leading website for covering Oscars. He's written the book uh, on... Mo- called Movie Awards, The Ultimate Unofficial Guide to the Oscars, Golden Globes, Critics Guild, and any honours, is Tom O'Neill. How are we going, Tom? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited for the Oscars this year? Well, it's, you know, we're always excited for the Oscars, but um, not as much this year because there's just not that much suspense, is there? Or am I wrong? Uh, you're pretty right. <laughs> you're pretty right. <laughs> there, isn't, there isn't a whole well, lot of suspense. Well, we, 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 we could build some suspense yeah. out of it anyway. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll try. Well, there was, there was, I guess, a bit of suspense this year with the Oscars over who would host it. Um, that uh, people, people were pretty sure Eddie Murphy would be hosting it, <laughs> and then it, then it changed. What went down there, Tom? Yeah, usually the, the, the producer of the show gets the prerogative of deciding who the host would be. They make a recommendation to the Board of Governors, but the governors seem to stamp it. And when Brett Ratner said he wanted his old buddy, um, Eddie, to do the job, it made a lot of sense because Brett and Eddie had the movie Tower Heist coming out, and it would be nice to have an African-American host, only two in the past have ever done so, Whoopi Goldberg and Chris Rock. So mm-hmm. it'd be great to see another one. And Eddie's perfect for the job, if you think about it. He's an industry veteran. He's a comedian who knows how to control a room. He's just got a really bad attitude problem. Mm. And this is the guy who stormed out of the Oscars a few years ago when he lost for Dreamgirls. And so it, it, it could have gone either way, 50-50. But when Brett Ratner made a gay slur and had to bow out of the grace, he took Eddie with him. Or Eddie just took, used the opportunity to flee. So they then were without a host for a bit, and they had to try find a, a new host to uh, host the Oscars, and who, who did they go with, Tom? Well, they went with, finally, with Billy Crystal, who has been like a reluctant um, date for so He's been flirting back and <laughs> forth with the Oscars, saying, all right, I'll do it, I won't, I'll do it, I won't. And um, finally, he said, this year, I'll do it. And they yeah. said, sorry, we've already got Eddie on the line. <laughs> so here we've all been waiting for Billy to do it, and, and then he got shut out. But then when Billy fell out, then, uh, I mean, when Eddie fell out, Billy's back in. So all of a sudden, by default, we get him. And he's going to be great because he's exactly uh, what you need. The problem with this job in the past is that Hollywood has been bringing in these rent-a-clowns from New York, like Chris Rock and David Letterman and Jon Stewart, who are utterly inappropriate for the job. They're great comedians, but they are not hosts of the Oscars. They're not industry insiders, beloved members of the Hollywood community, presiding over the family reunion. Get over it already. Stop with the rent-a-clowns. So they've got an appropriate clown in there, their own, and that's going to be great. Yeah, it's uh, Billy Crystal... Try to sound like he's sort of like the reluctant date for the Oscars, sort of hard, it to, get. hard to get. When he jumps into it so quickly after Eddie Murphy pulls out, makes him look a bit more desperate. He clearly didn't have anything else going on. Yeah. <laughs> Jonathan, do you have an opinion with Billy Crystal versus Eddie Murphy? And I think for our listeners uh, on the on the podcast, for, for the people listening at home, uh, who might not know who these people are. These, 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 these are people who used to be in movies. <laughs> and, uh, it might be uh, the donkey from Shrek is Eddie Murphy. Shrek. Yeah. And uh, Billy Crystal is Mike Wazowski from Monsters, Inc. That's probably what movie fans know these people as most Yeah, well, it's days. hard to get excited about either of them, seeing as I'm not sure I've seen a film of theirs in the last 20 years. Uh, I think Eddie Murphy used to be funny. Uh, I think Billy Crystal can be funny. I think he was great in Monsters, Inc. I think Monsters, Inc. (laughs) One of our favourites. Yeah, it doesn't matter when it was, because that's a classic. Hmm. I went back and watched some of uh, Billy's previous performances at the Oscars on Hmm. on YouTube to to catch up on him as a host. 
and I thought he was okay. Uh, he did a surprising amount of musical comedy for someone that can't sing that well. <laughs> but uh, but uh, the industry seems to like that. Showbiz likes the uh, the old musical numbers, mm. and uh, I think he'd probably do a better job than than Eddie Murphy would have. There you go. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of Billy Crystal. I saw him uh, when he came to Sydney do his 700 Sunday show. I think he's fantastic, and I love those musical numbers. And I, I just think he's got this presence. No, I, I'm really, I'm, I'm really pleased that we've ended up with Billy Crystal. He's probably my favourite host. So we should probably now get to actually talking about some of the Oscar races because <laughs> at the end of the day, the host is just just men are like keep us entertained before all the boring technical categories get announced. <laughs> So let, let's start off with the lead actress category. Uh, people love talking about the lead actress category. Uh, do you want me to run through the names, uh, Jonathan and Tom, and then we, then we can discuss these competitors? Yeah, let's read the nominees. Yeah. So for uh, the actress in a leading role, there's Glenn Close from Albert Nobbs. There's Viola Davis from The Help. There's Rooney Mara from The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. There's Meryl Streep from The Iron Lady. And there's Michelle Williams from my week with Marilyn. What do you think about those performances, Jonathan? Are you happy with that lineup? Well, looking at the list, at first I thought it was a bit of a weak category because no one got that excited for any of those films. But then when I thought about the films that I did get excited for this year, there weren't really any performances that I preferred. So I think these perhaps are some of the strongest performances of the year. I think the two people that could be considered snubs would be Tilda Swinton, from yeah. We Need to Talk About Kevin, and Kirsten Dunst uh, from Melancholia. Yeah. But I feel like the, the nominees uh, are relatively strong. Yeah, you can't be too disappointed. I wanted to see Melancholia with you, and you said you didn't want to see it with me. <laughs> so you can't be too upset that Kirsten Dunst got snubbed there. <laughs> um, yeah. I think these are a pretty fairly strong lineup. To be honest, um, I'm pretty happy with with the with these five. Uh, all the performances I've seen here have been pretty good. No, no performance here that I'm really, really passionate about. To be honest, um, but yeah, no, I'm pretty happy with them. What What do you think about this lineup, Tom? Is this a pretty pretty respectable list? Uh, yes, yes. I think Tilda Swinton gave uh, the most overrated performance in one of the worst movies of the year in, in uh, uh, Kevin's. So I was joyous to, uh, that that didn't get nominated. And then um, Melancholia, that's, that's, that, was, that was cool. But uh, I'm glad that Rooney Mara got in there. I think, yeah, it's, I think it's a great lineup. And I think there are some big performances here to get excited about. I think that you know, all of them are just really, really fantastic performances, much better than on the guy side. Oh, oh, interesting. Tilda Swinton may have needed to talk about Kevin. The Academy didn't need to talk about her. <laughs> <He's a need-to. laughs> <laughs> they didn't need to nominate her for the Oscar. Who, who's the front runner here? Oh wait, first before we talk about front runners, let's talk about do we do we have a favourite in this race? Is it who would we vote for if we were in the Oscars? Well, I'm not that interested in in Meryl Streep getting her like annual nomination at the Oscars. Uh, I quite like uh, Michelle Williams. I was really uh, impressed with. Um, Rooney Mara's performance in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I said that was the best thing yeah. about that film, and I, I quite enjoyed that. I'm a big Glenn Close fan. I'm not sure what she's doing making movies, though. Uh, yeah, slumming it in cinema. Yeah, because uh, we've seen her do well uh, The Shield uh, with her awards there, and Damages, she's the lead Patty Hughes in perhaps the best drama on TV. Yeah. What's she doing in film? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, like, you're getting these like Oscar nominations, but it's... Uh, I don't think it's really your strong suit. Yeah, after you've won an Emmy, can you go back to Oscars? <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you, Matt. Yeah, yeah. I'm an Emmy snub, first and foremost. Yeah. <laughs> much, much, much tougher competition on the drama Emmy actress side than at the, at the Oscars. If I were to pick yeah. one that I'm rooting for, I know uh, she's a bit of an outsider, but the one, the one uh, I'm supporting is Rooney Mara. Okay. Yeah, Rudy Mara's okay in the girl with dragon tattoo. <laughs> um, yeah, she's good. Yeah, Viola Davis, Mich- Meryl Streep, and Michelle Williams all give good performances, and like I, I've been, I was impressed with all of them. Uh, I'd probably go Viola Davis. I don't know, maybe the fact that she's not the one playing a biopic sort of character, 
yeah, she's the one I sort of feel like, oh, I'd like to see her win. I think that'd be really cool. And she's a great actress. Uh, she She's done really well over the years. So yeah, I think Viola Davis is the one I'm rooting for. Tom? Yeah, I mean, she's certainly a great performance in a movie that I truly, truly love. Mm. And I loved My Week with Marilyn, and I loved The Iron Lady, and I know I'm the only one in the world who said those two sentences. <laughs> but um, I think if I were voting, I'd vote for Meryl Streep. And I would never have voted for any of her performances in the past 20 years. So I'm not saying that as a Meryl Streep fan. I was just bowled over by that movie and by her. I just thought this is the, well, this is the greatest performance in recent years by the greatest actress of our time. So you know what? When, you're, when, you, when you do that, you get an Oscar. But yeah. is, is that enough? The greatest performance from the greatest actress? <laughs> no, of course not. We want more. We're greedy. She, Michelle, William, Michelle Williams looks better, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. That's right. Forget, you know, forget the best. We're not voting on that. Yeah, no, the, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's interesting. Like, I, I think, uh, the critics were a little harsh, I think, on the Iron Lady and My Week with Marilyn. Oh, they're idiots. I, the whole point of yeah. this movie is it's not about the Iron Lady, it's about the, on the non-Iron Lady, about a, yeah. a woman of, you know, call her gingerbread, call her whatever, crumbling at the end of her life. It's about her being feeble and with, and with, uh, Alzheimer's and dealing with the ghost of her husband. It's, Filling in with the backstory of her reign as prime minister is really just giving context to the real central story. But the film critics, this is where, where often they just, just get things wrong. They wanted a traditional biopic. They're looking at that. They start beating up on the movie. Oh, it didn't take sides on the politics. It's not about the politics. And just because you as a film critic don't like movies about little old ladies who you can't hump, then uh, <laughs> don't dismiss the whole movie. It's, it's about... The once Iron Lady who is now, you know, feeble and old. And I think th- this was an insight on one of the most important people of modern times. It was brilliant. Yeah, like, I I feel like I, I'd heard a lot of negative stuff, and I think they may have shot themselves in the foot a little bit with the trailers that seem quite focused on the politics. And then, because I've had a lot of friends who have, yeah. uh, when we've been watching the trailer, leaned into me and said, oh, that's, I, re- I really want to see that movie and then they've said later on, oh, I saw it and it wasn't enough about the politics. Because I guess I, I hang out with people who are into politics and uh, political That's friends. True. And by the yeah. way, if, if you didn't notice, I, maybe I'm the only one who noticed this, and I told this to Harvey Weinstein. I said, Harvey, the greatest moment in that trailer is when she turns to the uh, her fellow politicians there, the guys, and says, let's go join the ladies. <laughs> so, just, you know, flashing her balls of Thor. Yeah. And uh, it's not in the movie. They cut it out. <laughs> yeah. It's never good when the best moment in the trailer isn't in the movie. <laughs> it is. It's yeah. not. Yeah. So, Tom, who is the front runner to win this race? Who should people put their money on? Yeah, they should put their money on Viola Davis. She won SAG Award. That uh, is almost always... The best tea leaf to use when guessing the Oscars. Uh, yeah, Meryl won the Globe, but um, and yeah, that there's not a lot of uh, of love for the help in other Oscar categories. It's up for Best Picture, but it's not up for screenplay, not up for director. It's not present in those other categories. That kind of denotes broader support for the film. But one of the great myths about the Oscars is that oh, they always go to Betty Davis and always go to Catherine Hepper and always go to the favorites. They don't. They like to pick new, fresh meat every year, whether it's Charlize Theron or Halle Berry or Adrian Brody. And Viola Davis is, is the newbie this year of note. With the SAG, Tom, do they always line up four for four? Like, is there often one that's a bit different to the Screen Actors Guild? Yes, but for quirky reasons, like Benicio Del Toro being in a different category or uh, Kate Winslet being, you know, in different Mm, categories. That's when you see the skewing. And then also when you had vast differences like uh, Halle Berry winning uh, the Oscar but didn't Annette Bening beat her at SAG, I think that kind of Mm. thing. Uh, Those were the days when the awards were much further spread apart. Now they're right after each other, and I think they have a stronger influence. Now, now having said that, I have actually heard more votes for Meryl Streep just talking to Oscar voters, Mm. and I haven't talked to that many, and I talk to them all the time, but I haven't asked that many who they're voting for. But, uh, for example, a very, very close associate of mine, 
uh, who is a colleague of mine and votes for the Oscars, almost always votes for the winner. In fact, he said in one year, oh, I'm voting for Crash for Best Picture, and I just should have taken that as my clue to follow his ballot. He said he's voting for Meryl Streep, so I, I think there's a lot of love for her, and there's an upset possible here. Mm. I think this is a race that isn't quite decided. Would you say, Tom, that Davis or Streep, it's pretty much one of those two that's winning. Like, Michelle, yes, absolutely. Michelle Williams isn't taking this out because uh, of the babe factor or anything like that. Correct. Yeah. Jonathan, who are you predicting in this race? It's hard to go past Glenn Close, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> for those who don't know, she is my pick in the uh, Moneyball Oscar actor game that we uh, started a few yeah. weeks ago. But uh, I think I'm going to lean towards uh, Viola Davis. Yeah, I think I might go. I think I've changed my prediction recently to Viola Davis too. Um, after that, if I haven't, I'm going to now. Um, but yeah, no, I think. Well, but it's but it's ris- it's risky though. You know, I was uh, I'm really hearing nothing but Meryl Streep votes all the time. It may be an assumption. See, at SAG, here's this is where you get into the actual mechanics of it, which is interesting. Maybe Viola won SAG because Disney sent the. DVD screener of the help to all the members. Mm. Harvey Weinstein did not send the DVD to the Iron of the Iron Lady and My Week with Marilyn to all the voters. So uh, there are 120,000 voters. Mm. So they all didn't see the Iron Lady. They all didn't see uh, mm. My Week with Marilyn. So often those votes line up with what DVDs they got. So maybe we shouldn't be so swayed to think automatically Viola wins. You know, I'm just saying that. So don't let me talk you into it. It's it's uh, it's a real horse race. Yeah, that that's not like Harvey uh, Weinstein to like not bombard voters with things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, when it when it costs three hundred and fifty thousand dollars to send a DVD, yeah. he might show a little restraint for the first time in his life. Yeah, <laughs> the, um, yeah. No, th- this is a real race, and I am changing my prediction in this race like every day. Over with, if I think it's Marilyn or or Viola. Um, it, it does seem like a two-horse race, which might hurt Meryl Streep a bit because there is that person for people to rally around. But, yeah, so Viola Davis is who I'm going with now. But, you know, ask me in a week's time. Could change. Me too. Yeah. I'm pretty fickle. Yeah. Let's, let's go over to the guys. The guys they, that, they were rubbish, Matt. Tom, yeah. Tom doesn't even want to talk about them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we'll, uh, we'll we'll go to the guys. I'll, I'll read through them, then give me your thoughts on this uh, this, this bunch of gentlemen. Uh, actor in a leading role, Damien Bashir, A Better Life, George Clooney, The Descendants, Jean Dujardin, The Artist, Gary Oldman, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, and Brad Pitt for Moneyball. I think this is a, a pretty strong category, other than the uh, nominee from A Better Life, a film I've never heard of. Yeah. <laughs> We saw uh, uh, Moneyball together, yeah. and uh, we talked about it on the podcast, and we liked Bar- Brad Pitt, but we didn't think it was anything out of the ordinary, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, Gary Goldman in, in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I'm a bit of a Gary Oldman fan. There's been a bit of talk about this performance. Not too much love for Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy in the other categories. Yeah. Uh, and then I suppose the two big ones, George Clooney in The Descendants and uh, John Dujardin, in the artist, and we haven't done podcasts on these, so this is the first time, time. we sort of uh, yeah, you're getting our opinions on these performances and films. Yeah, uh, in terms of George Clooney, George Clooney gets criticised a lot for playing George Clooney. I don't like this criticism, but continue with what you're saying. <laughs> it, it exists. <laughs> yeah, in this film, does George Clooney play George Clooney? No. Is it within the sort of range of George Clooney? I think I think it is. I don't think it's that much of a stretch. Is it a good performance? Yes. Is it a great performance? No. Will it win the Oscar? I hope not. (laughs) John Dujardin, on the other hand, he carries the film. And uh, people say, well, often a lead carries the film, but really he carries it. He doesn't even say anything. (laughs) (laughs) There's no dialogue. There's practically no other characters there's no special editing. It's not about sound effects. It pretty much is a camera and this guy. And for yeah. it to be perhaps the critically most acclaimed a film of the year, he must have been doing something right. And I think he did because I found him extremely charismatic and entertaining and made the film what it was. Yeah. Isn't he just playing Jean Dujardin, though? <laughs> <laughs> 
see that guy. That's just what that guy's like in real life. <laughs> if he is, John Desjardins, pretty campy, kitsch guy. <laughs> Dances a lot. <laughs> yeah. He's always dancing around. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, just to go through some of these, like Damien Bashir, I'm not going to lie, have not seen this this movie. <laughs> have not seen A Better Life. Uh, yeah, I agree with you with Brad Pitt. I thought he was good in Moneyball. I love Moneyball. Uh, I loved it more than you did. But, yeah, no, his performance I didn't think was much to write home about. The uh, George Clooney and John Dujardin, I think I really like both of these performances. I thought, I thought John Dujardin did carry the film. He just had so much energy and, and charisma and presence and a great range. And he can dance pretty well. I was pretty <laughs> impressed by that. That was pretty amazing. So I was pretty uh, pretty pleased with uh, him. Uh, George Clooney, I, he's possibly my favourite actor um, working in film today. I, I think a lot of criticism about him always playing himself. But I think in some ways that's a testament to his acting that you think he's playing himself. <laughs> that you, is, he, you, he's not playing a character. He's, you believe that that's who he is. I think that's good. Unless it's the same character in each movie. It's not the same <laughs> character in each movie. Just because he doesn't wear a wig or a funny hat in every movie like Johnny Depp does. Like, oh, he's wearing a Hawaiian shirt. It's a completely different character. Yeah, oh, come on. Like, he, he, he played a different character in this. He played a guy going through grief and, and, and things and dealing with it in sort of a funny way. Like, I don't see Michael Clayton dealing with the situation this character is in in the same way. And I don't see the up-in-the-air guy dealing with this situation in the same way. I don't know. I, I think it's a really great performance that isn't based on putting on accents or funny wigs or makeup or whatever. It's just on his sort of nuance and his, his performance. And I think it's a fantastic performance. George Clooney. So I'm, I'm, I really like this lineup because I think Brad Pitt's good. Gary Oldman's obviously such a fantastic actor. Um, and then I, I really I really like George Clooney and Jean Dujardin. I'd be happy with either of them winning. Tom, what do you think about this lineup? Well, I'm with you. I think uh, the Clooney is magnificent in this movie, and I think it really is a performance. And I don't think he's given us that in the past. The criticism of Clooney playing Clooney is valid to the degree that he's pretty much been the same chiseled character uh, in all these films. But finally, the chiseled uh, granite exterior crumbles here, and we see these very, very tender uh, scenes. But that said, he is Clooney up there. He's not against type and all of that. So this is Dujardin's to lose. Uh, he is this year's Roberto Benigni, that charming foreigner with a, with a wink and a smirk. And the quote's charmed by him, to use your word, Matt. That's basically what it is. It's, I don't see a performance here. I just see charm and a dance in a step. And that's fine. But that's not great acting. But Best Picture gets an acting award. It almost always does. There are a few exceptions. But Russell Crowe wins with Gladiator. And Hilary Swank wins with Million Dollar Baby. And Dustin Hoffman wins with Rain Man. Sometimes it's in the supporting category, like Javier Bardem with No Country. So it's going to get an acting award. The question is which one. It's this one. Because Clooney and Pitt are playing themselves, basically, and didn't go against type. And the only time that Clooney has won is when he packed on 40 pounds and looked like hell and that horribly unwatchable Syriana movie. <laughs> but this is all about the artist, so there's going to be a sweet factor because this is a popular vote. And Jean Dujardin is going to go along for the ride. Yeah, I think the Oscars uh, love their fresh faces. And he's definitely very fresh, very hip very cool choice, and I, I agree. I've been saying Dujardin for ages now. I just think he's the kind of guy they're going to go And with. you're finally pronouncing it correctly. Yes, I am. <laughs> so there we go. This is what I've learned how to do this Oscar season. So hopefully he's going to just... His career's going to take off, and he's going to be in a lot of movies now, so I can use this skill of pronouncing his name properly. Yes, as many movies as Adrian Brody and uh, Brenda Fricker. <laughs> yes. <laughs> If they remake King Kong, they get John Dujardin to be in it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, because, like, there are not just Roberto Benigni, who is a foreign guy, but, like, you know, we've had Adrian Brody, and then on the female side, even people like Halle Berry and stuff, these fresh faces winning. I think that's uh, probably it. 
Should we should we move along to the? Whoa, oh, uh, whoa, okay. Sorry, Jonathan. What did you want to say? We did actually forget to talk about snubs in this category. Oh, snubs! I well, I can't see a name that's missing here. Well, hang on, man. You know, DiCaprio. I think I think you mispronounced Ryan Gosling. What? <laughs> Ryan Gosling isn't here, but he was. Why? He doesn't deserve to be. He 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 was great in the Ides of March, Jonathan. <laughs> I know you. Oh come on! That movie was featherweight. I'm <laughs> Drive. Don't let's not go on this whole business. All this. You know, swooning over Drive. My God, he, what is he? Had four lines in the whole movie. He just—he does his Tilda Swinton well, imitation. Du- just look into the camera and look full of angst. Well, Dujardin has no lines in his movie, so let's not criticize Gosling. <laughs> oh, I agree. I'm ashamed that. that he's going to yeah. get an Oscar for that. I totally agree. Yeah, uh, Jonathan's a huge fan of Drive. Of course. <laughs> and I think, Jonathan's a film snob and I'm a barbarian, so yeah. I'm confessing that up front. Yeah. So uh, why do you think he should have got in for Drive, Jonathan? I didn't expect him to. I knew that the Academy was not buying into the whole Drive scene that a lot of people are getting passionate for. But if I were voting, Scorpion Jacket alone surely gets him the nom. The performance, <laughs> a man determined entirely by his actions, is almost kind of sociopathic hero that is so fascinating with a hammer would be my favourite performance of the year. Yeah. If you'd like to continue here, Jonathan, uh, talk about Ryan Gosling and Drive, you can listen to our Drive podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but, yes. Yeah, spare me, please. Yeah. I, I have a... Uh, you, you risk me going into a rant here that you're going to have to edit out later. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good because we're the ones doing the editing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, so we'll I... Have, it's, we'll just have Tom, it'll just be like disjointed, drive, good, best, <laughs> film, here. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. We'll get, um, yeah, like, uh, do you want to keep on, like, this might come up again in the best picture discussion, <laughs> the drive snub. <laughs> so I'm not sure how much you want to talk about it now. I guess talking about the actors in Drive, Albert Brooks was one of the front runners to get nominated, he also got snubbed, so, um, there you go. Obviously, a lot of Tom's friends voting for the Oscars. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I had my spies. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I, it's just, just, let's move on, please. Yeah, okay, we'll move on. <laughs> we'll move along to the Best Director, Best Picture Race. There's a lot of overlap with these two categories, so we'll sort of deal with them together. This year, uh, in the past two years, there have been 10 Best Picture nominees at the Oscars. The Academy, obviously, for whatever reason, was a bit over that. They thought 10 a bit too many. So they said you have to get over 5% of the votes to get nominated. So there'll be anywhere from 5 to 10. They ended up with 9, so it wasn't really that different to the last two years, really. I feel like the girl with the dragon tattoo might think there's a bit of a difference (laughs) between 9 and 10. Yeah, David Fincher might have something to say. But, uh, well, but yeah, so there's 9 movies. There's obviously, as there always is when there's this many nominees, some fillers. (laughs) Some... Extremely loud and incredibly close might be a filler nominee. I think it's the worst reviewed Best Picture nominee since the internet has existed. It's got like 48 on Metacritic. Hasn't even been released in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we haven't seen it yet. Um, this was the big shock. No one's really expecting this one to get in. Yeah, it's some... Um, uh, Tom, you probably know a bit more about this than me, but from what I gather, it's some emotional 9-11 uh, film about some kid looking for parents or something. <laughs> so some film that looks pretty much... Yeah, uh, yeah. exactly. It, it is... Uh, don't bother go seeing it because you guys are young guys easily swayed by film critics who've convinced you that, that uh, you know, cynical crap like... Uh, there's something to talk about Kevin or Drive is really good. This is a real kind of sappy for little old ladies like me who love really weak, great weepies. Extremely loud, incredibly close. It's a great movie. Again, the critics are wrong. I sat there with uh, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of Academy members. It was for the very first screening in Los Angeles. The place burst into a, like a rock concert. There was so much emotion that went off in that room. And this is, it is, Jonathan's right, it is the lowest rated movie in the history of the Oscars in terms of Metacritic score to get nominated for Best Picture. Previously, the lowest rating was another Stephen Dawkins movie called The Reader, and it got in. But again, this is, if you just surrender to a really good, sappy movie, this is a great one. It deserves to get in. 
But that said, uh, I'm not buying into the premise of your question, <laughs> so I'm being an, an ungracious yeah. guest. No, 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 no. We want you to be honest. We want your opinions. It's, it's good to have different opinions. They got, like, uh, Tom Hanks and Sandra Bullock. Um, and, again, just ticking all the Oscar boxes there. Um, so... Uh, I guess we shouldn't have been too surprised, especially when the reader shocked a few years ago. This this Stephen Daldry guy, sort of fast becoming sort of internet critics and the, it, it quickly becoming critics' public enemy number one when it comes to Oscars. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's beaten his own record for worst reviewed best picture <laughs> nominee. <laughs> he wasn't content yeah, with but, the yeah, reader. But if it, yeah. if it comes on Netflix or something, watch it. It's really, okay. it's really a wonderful. I I want to see all the nominees, so I will see it, and I'll give it a fair shake. I'm I. The other, I'd say maybe filler nominee is perhaps War Horse, which again. Yeah, that has no right being on this list. Yeah. That's just dreadful film. Well, isn't this some stupid, sappy Oscar d- designed for an Oscar movie? Yeah. 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 That's what, a bad sappy movie. What, there are good sappy is, movies like Slumdog yeah. Millionaire or Extremely Loud in okay. Public Clothes. So War Horse is just horrible. Okay. Why is War Horse horrible and these other ones not? Because it's, uh, War Horse is obvious and heavy-handed. The music swells up too much over the top. You don't just have sunsets. You have the Gone with the Wind painted sunsets. You have these ridiculous coincidences in the moments, like, at the end. They, they, they added it to the story hmm. when uh, all of a sudden the guy from France, the old man from France, comes running up. So it's just so, it's ridiculous. One preposterous thing after another. In Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, uh, the schmaltz is more logical. Yeah. I have not seen War Horse yet, but I've seen the trailer, and I feel like I have seen this movie <laughs> before. You've seen, it, you've seen enough. Yeah. Yeah. I was not too keen to see War Horse, and I thought, well, what the deciding factor will be the return of Jafar Principle. Yeah. How long is this film? Yeah. Looked it up. It was about two and a half hours. I'm not going to go pay to see a two and a half hour film that I don't want. It was 66 minutes like Return of Jafar. Yeah. Which also happened to be great. Yeah. <laughs> I would have gone and seen it. Yeah. And yeah. you know, what's so bad about this movie is, even as long as tedious as it is, and it really is long and tedious, it's so illogical, like all of a sudden, he, this, this boy is on his farm with a horse, and then that, and one second later, he's in this war. They don't even bother to show you him joining or going through this mental process of joining a war. It's just like, we got to move this story along now, just put him in the war. It's so horrible. It's unbelievable. So some of the other films that didn't get a director nomination and therefore, would this be fair to say, are out of the race? If you don't have a director nomination, can you win Best Picture, Tom? Yes. uh, Driving Miss Daisy did, Grand Hotel did, but there are very few examples historically. Don't put your money on it is pretty much the rule. Uh, One of them is The Help. Jonathan, I don't think you've seen The Help. Why have you not seen this movie? There must be a reason. Well, I watched the trailer for it and it looked a little bit obvious and manipulative, and it had okay reviews. I think it's 62 on Metacritic. I thought it was one of those films that I'd get round to. Mm. With nine nominations, there's a lot of films to go pay and see for yeah. at the cinema. Again, the Return of Jafar principle applied. I believe this is also around two and a half hours. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it is something I'll probably see before the Oscars, uh, but it's one of the the three that I haven't seen of the Best Picture nominees. Yeah. Tom, what do you think about The Help? Is Jonathan Smart for not having seen it? Yeah, I, I think it's one of the great movies of the year by far, and I think it's um, a shock and, and, and an outrage that it's not nominated for screenplay and director. Mm. And I think it does have a remote chance to win. I've met lots and lots of people who, who really, you know, voters who are saying that they're going to rally behind it and support it. We have one pundit at Gold Derby. We, have, we actually have two who predict it will win, including Thelma Adams of Yahoo!, I don't think that's a realistic goal, but uh, it certainly deserves to be here. Yeah, I I would agree with Jonathan. I've seen it, and I do think it was emotionally manipulative a little bit with the music and stuff, and it was very overly sentimental, but I still liked the movie. I still thought it was good. Like, I, I have Tom was saying how some movies are over-sentimental and it's not bad. I, I didn't think it was that bad here. And I think part of it's because of the great performances. Yeah. Like, uh, the old days, Octavia Spencer, Jessica Chastain, Emma Stone is incredible. She hasn't been nominated, but I think she's such a good actress 
you know, she carries the film in some ways herself. So I think it's got a really good ensemble. Um, and that mm-hmm. probably, the, the, which is, uh, guess why I'm not as disappointed about the screenplay director snub, although I would have been fine with either of those nominations. Did it win ensemble? It won yeah. Best Ensemble at Screen Actors Guild and Best Lead Actress and Best Supporting Actress. So it did pretty well. Bam. Yeah. And I guess that's the only argument for it winning Best Picture. Then. Let's move on to uh, the good old uh, Moneyball. Moneyball. Moneyball, as I think listeners of the podcast will know, one of my favorites of the year. Um, of was, course, because it's Aaron Sorkin. Yes. <laughs> You're a little biased. That's up there. Yes, creator of the West Wing. Yeah, he wrote it. So definitely very well written film. What, 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 we've already talked about this a bit. Tom, what did you think of Moneyball as a movie? I liked it. It was a very, very good movie. It doesn't have a prayer to win, of course. Uh, it, it might win screenplay. It's in a close race mm, there, but yeah. um, that's the best hope it has. Yeah, I, I think if it had got a director nomination, it could have become the alternative because I think it got like uh, six nominations, Moneyball. But yeah, no, I'd agree. That, it can't win without that director nomination. I feel like I enjoy saying Moneyball more than I enjoyed watching the film. <laughs> <laughs> like whenever people mention it, I'm like, Moneyball! Yeah, it was okay. <laughs> I think I gave it so, six and a half on the podcast. Yeah, I think I gave it about eight, eight and a half, something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. So there we go. So they're all the films that are probably got a bit of a disadvantage about their director nominated. Nominated. Let's let's now go through the five uh, nominees that got their director in in the race. Let's go over the ones that we've already done podcasts on. You can find our podcasts on these movies for our comprehensive review. But uh, obviously, uh, the Midnight in Paris has got through here. Woody Allen's got nominated for best director as well. Uh, you'd be pretty pleased with that. You quite enjoyed Midnight in Paris, Jonathan. I did like Midnight in Paris. I think I gave it eight out of ten on the yep. podcast. I'd put it perhaps in my top five movies of the year. Yeah. In terms of the direction, I'm not sure that was what made the film. I think it was more about the writing and, and the performances. But I'm still very happy to see uh, Woody Allen in there. Definitely more so than Scorsese for Hugo. Uh, we both gave five and a half out of ten. Yeah. We had more problems with the story, I suppose, in Hugo. We did, like, a, a lot of the visuals. So I don't mind Scorsese being there, I suppose. But uh, of the two of those that we've already reviewed, uh, Woody Allen's definitely my preference. Two films set in Paris. Midnight in Paris and Hugo. Yeah, so we've got the, those two films. What, what do you think of the two Parisian films that are nominated, Tom? I don't think either one has a chance to win, but no. I loved I love them both. But I really, really love Midnight in Paris, and I have not liked any of Woody's recent films, from Vicky Cristina to Match Point. I I thought every one of these overhyped comeback movies from him just didn't measure up to the hype. But this one, I think, is just wonderful. It does seem like Woody Allen the last ten years has been a lot of movies which people have claimed is his comeback prematurely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it seems like this one's got the Best Picture nomination. It got pretty good reviews. It probably legitimately is his comeback this time. Um, I, I know someone weighed in on the Hugo nomination recently. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe has just spoken out, who plays Harry Potter, for those out there. That's a quite popular film series, if you don't know what Harry Potter is. And he's everyone's number one source for yeah. the Academy Award yeah. <laughs> nominations and predictions. Everyone's been asking what Daniel Radcliffe's take on it is. And I'll, I'll read the quote. He says, I don't think the Oscars like commercial films or kids' films unless they're directed by Martin Scorsese. I was watching Hugo the other day and going, why was this nominated and we're not? I was slightly miffed. <laughs> so, uh, I can just imagine Daniel Radcliffe watching Hugo with some mates and going, how did this get in over Harry Potter? What's the deal? Like, what do we have to do to get nominated? <laughs> what, like, what, do you think Daniel Radcliffe had a point there, Jonathan? Oh, if only Scorsese had, domi- had uh, directed the Harry Potter films. Yeah, that would be him for sure. Yeah. yeah, I feel like he's not being entirely objective. Yeah, <laughs> uh, could be being influenced by the fact that he wasn't in Hugo. Yeah, and was in Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps that's the difference <laughs> between getting nominated and not being nominated. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> what, uh, Tom, do you think Daniel Radcliffe has a point? Absolutely. Uh, Deathly Hollows had an 87. It was one of the highest scoring movies of the year, according mm-hmm. to the critics. It was the highest box office hit. You know, what do you have to do to get a Best Picture nomination if you have the critics of the world behind you saying it's the, one of the greatest movies of the year? You have the audiences behind you saying it's one of the greatest movies of the year. And you have nine nominations with these things we consider dubious, uh, like... Or at least you guys do like extremely loud and incredibly close. Yeah. I would agree that Deathly Hollows is a much better movie than that mm. than it's, than some of these others on the list. It should have gotten in absolutely. Yeah, uh, I don't know if the critics were entirely in agreement. I believe uh, Screen Birdie Podcast <laughs> gave it a a Wizard in a Mudblood out of five. I believe <laughs> yeah. it was translate to I think three I, out I of gave, ten. I gave it two Wizards in a Mudblood out of five. So um, a three out of ten yeah, and a I, five out of ten. For yeah, those. but. I don't know. I, and I know we gave Hugo a higher score, but thinking about it, I was enjoying Harry Potter's struggle with Voldemort a lot more than I was enjoying finding out about Ben Kingsley's problems uh, in Hugo. What is Hugo doing in this race over over a lot of other movies? <laughs> and it's got the most nominations. Man. Yeah, it's, it's got the most of all movies this year. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. it was in 3D, Tom. <laughs> oh, is that it? Okay. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, probably. I don't know. It was, yeah, I think the 3D definitely maybe made some of these tech branches go, this must have been technically hard to do. <laughs> no, it's, it's Scorsese. They saw his yeah. name and they just yeah. all got raging heart. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. So let's go to the, the three films that we haven't really talked about on the podcast before. Um, let's kick things off with the the Tree of Life, which is, I think, was a surprise to get into the Best Picture lineup, a, a mild one, and quite a surprise to get into the Best Director lineup. I saw this film yesterday too. We didn't see it together though. What were your thoughts on the Tree of Life? I feel like the Tree of Life was a rather big wank, but it was a very pretty wank. Yeah. <laughs> People probably had one of three responses to The Tree of Life. I hated that. I had no idea what was going on. Or that was a masterpiece. Yeah. I was in the second category, but I still really liked it. Mm -hmm. Even though I couldn't explain to you what was going on, it had an emotional impact on me. For some reason, I cared. For some reason, I enjoyed it. Particularly the special effects uh, during the, the evolution scenes by the guy from who did 2001 A Space Odyssey and Blade Runner, mm. and I thought those were amazing. I can't think anything like it, especially this year. I think in terms of the scope of this film, it's as big a film as we've ever seen. I think it will be compared to some of the greats like 2001 in the future. Even if even if 50% of people hate it, I think it will still end up being regarded in, in that canon in the future. What do you think, Tom, about the Tree of Life? <laughs> I'll be, I'll be politic but brief. I think it's uh, the most overrated piece of dreck of the year. I think it's uh, symbolism for dummies. It's like Brad Pitt spinning those boys around the front yard to the right direction. Now we're going to spin them to the left. And now we're going to show you the pictures of the stars because we want to show you eternity. Oh, now let's go to the tree. And let's say, oh, this is the tree of life. And then you have th- almost three insufferable hours of that shit which, of course, is not profound on any level. It's so obvious. It's like a Hallmark greeting card. And everyone's just going to swoons of, it's brilliant, it's brilliant. Well, I saw this on a plane, and if I, and had, had I been able to jump out of the plane, <laughs> well, this thing was still good. I would have gone because it was just agony to sit through this thing because yeah. nothing ever happens. Mm. So, But that said, there are many people, who, there are a core number of people who love it, yeah. and that's the, what the Oscar voting is all about. It's just that, you know, that you need 5% people who really are passionate yeah. about something, and it had that. So I had predicted it would get in, and it got in. But you're right, what you said earlier, though, Matt, about the surprise being Malik getting in here because he was not nominated by DGA, but he got in here. So there's a lot of love for this movie. It's uh, it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, I just want to say, for those people considering watching the film, it's two hours, 12 minutes. Yeah. It's not nearly three hours. Yeah. No. <laughs> just seems like four. <laughs> I, I, I also, s- a plane is not the best conditions <laughs> for watching a film, particularly one as cinematic as this. Um, okay, I saw this last night. I saw it on Blu-ray. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's a good thing for me 
when I've seen a movie, I've been watching a movie for two hours and 12 minutes, and the first thing I have to do after the movie is Wikipedia search the movie so I can read the plot of what <laughs> I've just seen. <laughs> I mean, like, it ended in a light. What happened there? What? Nothing happened. I, I did not care about anyone in this movie. I did not care. It could have been about half the length, and it would have been exactly the same. Every year I think there's a Best Picture nominee, at least the last couple of years, that I really do not like. And this is the one that I really do not like. It was nothing. It was nothing. Nothing was this movie. It was just some nice shots. There was no story. And There's like no story. The characters are all one-dimensional. Yeah. There's not a single line of remarkable dialogue in this whole movie. How does this ever can all be considered a, a, a decent film by anybody? I don't know. Yeah, and I, I think, what is this film? Like, this film, I think, feels like it's got a lot to say. Like, it opens right. with a, a Bible verse from Job, and, like, you know, I'm a Christian. I got, like, I was like, oh, this is interesting. And it has, like, themes about grief and death. But what is it even saying about all these things? It's not saying, like, then you got dinosaurs, and I'd heard there were dinosaurs in this movie, and I thought that would mean it would be a bit more exciting, not more boring. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> I just want to say, in terms of them being one-dimensional, Brad Pitt's character is supposed to represent... Uh, the path of nature, and Jessica Chastain is supposed to represent the path of grace. So they are supposed to be representing... They're not supposed to be these three-dimensional characters. They're an archetype of a theme for the film. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) It was boring. It was boring. Thank you, man. I didn't like like this movie. (laughs) I was just sitting there waiting for it to end. Going, oh man, there'll be good stuff to say about this in the podcast tomorrow. But uh, I'm not. I'm not enjoying watching this. Ugh. There were some beautiful shots. There were some beautiful shots in the movie. Um, I'll give. I'll give it that. But even even Sean Penn, who was in the movie, watched it and went, "What the f is that?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it was a good good deal for Sean Penn. Because it seems like he was in, like, what, like three scenes or something. He just needed to rock up, go up an elevator, then walk along a beach. And, like, and he got, probably, got, probably got paid quite a bit of money for all that. Like, just be Sean Penn for the day. <laughs> Try not to punch someone. <laughs> Obviously some divided. What would you give the Tree of Life out of ten, Jonathan? I, I want to watch it again, but at the moment I'd give the Tree of Life... Probably an 8.5. Okay. I'd give it a 2, and I'd only and the reason I'm giving it a 2 is because I feel like there is some artistic value in it that I just don't get. Every single shot in the film, I thought, if I ever made a film, if I had one shot that good, I would be happy with my film. And every single shot was that quality. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I think visually, Malik is unparalleled. Well, look, I gave it a 2, because there's some artistic <laughs> quality to the film. It gets a point two. I'm sure there's some artistic quality that I just don't get, and I can appreciate that other people like it, but I can't see anyone can say this is a great film because there's no story and it's just boring. Anyway, now the two sort of, I guess, uh, the two sort of big films that we haven't talked about yet, The Descendants and The Artist. Let's start off with The Descendants. We'll, we'll end with the big one. What, what do you think about that movie, Jonathan? I saw this a couple of weeks ago and quite enjoyed it. Um, I didn't see it with you, so you had to go see it. Did you see it on your own? Well, I was told it was a mum movie, uh, so I invited my mum to, oh, nice. to the film. Very nice. She cried for two hours. <laughs> uh, I feel like her and Tom might get along well with watching sappy movies and, and crying at <laughs> yeah, <yeah>. them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a perfect movie date for me. <laughs> <laughs> She's married, Tom. Stay away. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um... <laughs> I saw the trailer for The Descendants, and I said that that was the worst trailer I had ever seen. It was a pretty terrible trailer. The narration over that was was embarrassingly bad. People say, because we live in Hawaii, we live in paradise. But that's not true. We have messed up (laughs) lives just like everyone else. But we'll make it. (laughs) What is that dribble? (laughs) You asked me to see this film, and I refused to repeatedly until it turned out that it was going to be one of the front runners at the Oscars, and I'd eventually have to see it. So I did see it. I'll start off by saying it exceeded expectations, yeah. uh, though they were pretty low. Yeah. I was expecting it to be quite sappy, 
but in a way, I was sort of impressed at that it wasn't too manipulative. I, I thought mm. it did a quite a good job of showing a sort of raw, realistic approach to these quite heavy themes. So in terms of the direction of... I quite enjoyed that. Yeah. In terms of the execution, I had a few problems. There was quite a bit of clunky dialogue. I still hated the narration. I don't know why they had the narration. It was only there for the first 10 minutes of the film and didn't add anything. Yeah. There were a few other little hiccups, like the character of Sid. He provided some comic relief, but at other times he just seemed so unnecessary, didn't fit the tone of the film at all. But in terms of the core uh, idea of the the film, the story, I guess I bought into it, and I liked Clooney's performance, even though I thought it was still Clooney-ish. And in the end, I thought it was a good but not great movie. Okay. Tom, what were your thoughts on The Descendants? I think it's a truly great movie on, like, five levels. I mean, if you think of what a movie's supposed to do, in one that's not going to take the familiar path, it takes this uh, idea of, you know, him and his wife and finding out that, that, that she was diddling somebody else and the daughter saying, let's go find this guy. What a quest. It was just so quirky and unusual and uh, gave you insights into the, the, the dynamics of this family. But I bought it and I went for the ride and I was very impressed. Uh, it's not, it doesn't deserve to win Best Picture, but I was surprised at the maturity of the movie. Mm. I liked it a lot. Yeah, I, I said this at the end of the film. I, I saw it with two girls, and one of the girls said, I usually cry in every movie, and I didn't cry in this. I think that's because it didn't manipulate you, <laughs> like maybe a film like The Help would. It was actually dealing with these issues in a real way. And I really love how uh, Alexander Payne uses comedy and lighter moments in this film. Yeah. I think if it, there hadn't been that, I would have just felt. Maybe like, I, I know this is a favourite of yours, Tom, a bit like I did when I was watching Precious, of, oh, let's just, just watch all these terrible things happen to these people, and it just, like, made me... There was no relief from that, whereas I feel right. like with this film, they had those lighter moments. And I think Sid, as much as maybe some of his lines or whatever might have been uh, maybe a bit over, it at least provided some energy to the film, and I really liked mm-hmm. that. And yeah, even the confrontation scene with Clooney and the guy... It wasn't a punch-up. It wasn't that... Like, there was, that was actually quite a funny scene. And I liked that. I, I like... It's definitely more a drama than a comedy, but I liked that there was comedy in there. And I thought it was a very well-rounded film. I, I, I was really impressed with this, and I think it might be my favourite film of the year so far. In terms of the direction, do you think Alexander Payne did anything exceptional, bring anything more to it than the tone? Did you really think there was visually anything stunning in the film? No, but I don't think the film needed that. Like, I think it would have been out of place if the film had visually stunning sort of crane shots. Matt, he, he wanted dinosaurs walking through there. Yeah. That would have been a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's what yeah. Jonathan wants. That's just yeah. standard for yeah. greatness. <laughs> he created... He I'm created, never going to criticise a film for yeah. having dinosaurs in it. Yeah. He, he, he created a sense of realism. Like, and he couldn't have done that with more stunning visuals. But the world is stunning. It doesn't need, <laughs> it doesn't need to be forced. It doesn't need yeah. to be weird effects. It just needs to be how you capture yeah. the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. What, like, I, just, like, I, think, I think it was directed really well. Would, would I vote for this to win Best Director? No. I think it deserves to be one of the five, but I wouldn't vote for a Best Director... I'd probably vote for it for Best Picture, I would say. So my vote for Director and Picture wouldn't line up this year. Now let's talk about the big one. The one that's the front-runner to win Best Picture. Everyone's talking about it, except the people in the movie. They're not (laughs) talking about it. The Artist. We saw this together yesterday, the day before. There was a trailer before this movie for some, like, Judy Dench, Maggie Smith like uh, comedy, whatever, Bill Knightley, all these people that old people like. I had never heard an audience respond this well to a trailer before. (laughs) They were, like, on the floor laughing at, like, any quip in that trailer. There was a moment in the trailer where an old woman runs out of a room, quite disturbed, and says, there's an Indian in there. And the cinema gave the biggest laugh I've ever heard at the movies, to the point where I wasn't sure whether they were laughing at her or whether they, too, were racist and were laughing at the Indian. 
It was very strange. Yeah. Um, yeah, they laughed more in that than they did in The Artist. Yeah, like, just that trailer. So the, what did you think of the actual Artist film, Jonathan? It took me a while to get into the film. The first 15 minutes or so, I was like, there's no one talking. This is a bit of a gimmick. It's very campy, kids trying to attain this sort of nostalgic feel. And I wasn't really buying it. But after a while, I think what turned me was Dujardin's performance. He yeah. is... Uh, extremely charming, and he's he's funny. He's he's talented, and it was when I started to become interested in him that I became interested in the story. Yeah, and I think the story is quite basic, but it's it's familiar territory. But it's about human emotion, and it is it it managed to stride this line between being likable, palatable, quite easy to enjoy, but still being quite real and touching. Yes, yeah. This movie has a very simple story. Like, ridiculously simple. (laughs) But there's no pretension about that. And that's the story they want to tell, and they get in there, and they tell it, and they tell it well. And I I much prefer that than a movie like Hugo, which really, Hugo has a very simple story too. They try to make it more complicated than it is, with robots and keys and, and secrets and lies and all these sorts of stuff. I'm much, I enjoyed the artist because although it was a simple story, that's the story it was telling. What, what did you think about the artist, Tom? I liked it. I don't think there's much greatness to it. I think it's good to win because it has a message that, that resonates in Hollywood now because it's a town under siege by technology with the advances of 3D and the internet. And of course, this is a movie about the last big threat, which was the advance of sound and films and but, but the story is so simple. It, it, there is no story. It's just, it, it's, it's a star is born, which has been told many times and retold on screen. And before that, what price Hollywood? So, but in a way, if you accept that as a evergreen story about Hollywood that is now remade into this movie, that there's something kind of nice about that. Mm. So I accept that. And I it, uh, like the little comic things. It, it, it is, as an homage to the little yeah. throwbacks to the dogs and movies and, and all of that. But I, and, and, and I like the fact that it has a kind of slumdog millionaire finale that sends you out of the mm. movies with a nice surprise and a smile on your face yeah. and dance in, dance in your step. But I'm a little disappointed in the fact that, it's, that people are, are ascribing such greatness to it. I can understand why the Oscar voters like it, and I can understand why even it's winning Best Picture. Mm. What I don't understand is why it has 90% on Metacritic from the critics. Mm. Because I, that's, I'm kind of impressed in a way that it does, because my one complaint about critics is that they really like the gritty, kind of esoteric you know, stuff. No country for old men. Yeah, yeah, and that's not what this is. So I'm startled that they like it, but... It's okay, but I I would personally like to see Midnight in Paris win, or The Descendants, or The Help. But I can live with this movie. It's you know what I think is great about it. By the way, it's my own little pet theory. I'll summarize it in twenty seconds, and it is the fact that these two characters are not overtly in love, and and I think that's one of the things in this movie that if they allowed them to become romantically involved, it would have ruined it. And the reason they're not romantically involved in the artist is because the director is the husband of the of the starlet and he didn't want Jean kissing her. <laughs> so, and I've talked to them about all that and said, you realize that because she is helping this faded, fading movie star because she's admires him and she considers him a mentor and she has some, a little bit of romantic mm. longing to him, but they're not tonguing each other. They're not going to bed. There's not the overt romanticism of the movie that that elevates it. I think to another level that I don't think they intended when they made the movie. If I had a girlfriend, I definitely wouldn't want her kissing Jean Dujardin. <laughs> like, I can see where the director's coming from here. It's a pretty good-looking guy. Yeah, I think Gary Oldman is the only uh, lead actor I wouldn't mind. <laughs> <laughs> Tip for directors out there. I, uh, Jennifer Aniston probably wishes she got to direct Mr. and Mrs. Smith. <laughs> she could have uh, settled. Yeah. Tom, I have a bit of a theory. Last year, the King's Speech won Best Picture. A king who struggled to speak. Uh, This year, the artist uh, has has people who just (laughs) won't speak at all. Um, I I, I see where you're going with this. Is is the less words, the better for an Oscar (laughs) Best Picture contender? No, I I, I think 
the the message here is that the thing they also have in common, both of them, and it's Harvey Weinstein. Ah. Let's be honest. If you know the artist was not made in the United, it was filmed in the United States yeah. in Hollywood, but it was not made for American audiences. Yeah. It was just something Harvey picked up over at Cannes when he won Best Actor from the uh, festival <laughs> jury. Yeah. And uh, Harvey thought it was a nice little trifle to try out in the United States, and it just took off. <laughs> Let's admit, all of us, that if Harvey Weinstein had not picked up this movie targeted toward the Oscars, it would not be noticed anywhere. If Harvey had not bought it at Cannes and it had just been distributed in theaters around the world, or whatever, it just would have come and gone without any notice at all. Mm -hmm. This is a perfect example of, of how the award scene makes a movie an event. Mm -hmm. The King's Speech, the same thing. It, that would have done okay. It's like a nice masterpiece theater little movie. It made $400 million globally. <laughs> yeah. like you, that's unthinkable that a movie like The King's Speech could. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's how the awards machinery of the Oscars makes these movies important. And there's something good and bad about that. Jonathan, let's let's quickly uh, let's quickly give Descendants an artist a score out of ten. What would you give Descendants out of ten? Seven. Okay, I'd give it a nine. What would you give the artist out of ten? I'll give it seven point five. Okay, I'm giving it an eight. And I and I agree with your scores, Matt. Exactly. I would say eight for artist, nine for Descendants. Who who? If you had to vote, Tom, who would you vote for? I'd probably vote for Midnight in Paris. I just really yep. love that yep. movie. Would you vote for Woody Allen in director as well, or would you mix up your directing ballot? Yeah, I think I would. Okay. Yeah. Who would you vote for here, Jonathan, in this lineup? Would it be the same in director? I feel like Khan knows uh, knows what's up a lot more than, than the Academy does, seeing as it gave the palm door to the Tree of Life. The Tree of Life. <laughs> <laughs> and who, who won? And, and uh, yeah, just remind me, who won, who won Best Director? Who won that? Who, indeed. Oh, that's right. Nicholas Winding Refn, Director of Drive. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Oh. Yes. Look at some of the other fiascos in can history. Let's not go there. Yeah. <laughs> if, if I were voting for the Oscars, I would probably just write drive and then draw a little square next to it and tick that. But if I wasn't allowed to do that, <laughs> I feel like I would vote for the tree of life and Malik. Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, I think <laughs> you didn't even get the film when you saw it. Well, no, I, I, I just didn't want to seem pretentious and say I totally understood it. There were things okay. I thought, I thought I, I got and took from it, but I'm not going to say yeah. I understood it as a whole. Of the films, though, that actually have a chance... <laughs> you wouldn't want to waste your vote. Uh, so. Of the two frontrunners, The Artist and The Descendants, The Descendants, I've, I've said a lot of bad things about it before I saw the film. It was actually pretty good, but I did slightly prefer The Artist, so I will be rooting for The Artist come Oscar time. I would vote for Best Picture, The Descendants, and vote Best Director, The Artist. There you go. And the artist... Hedging your bets. <laughs> but the, the artist will win. And I, I'm, I'm happy with the artist winning because I think it's really... I saw it and I go, I really like this film. And I think it's really cool that a sort of uh, silent black and white film can win Best Picture in 2012 or 2011. I, I, I'm re I think it's going to be really cool. I'm really excited to see the artist win. And although, as much as I like The Descendants, it's not like... Last year, I was like, oh, I, I like The King's Speech, but it's no social network. I'm really upset The King's Speech is winning. But this year, I don't really have that problem. I, I really like the artists too, so I'm fine with that. I would be happy with anything winning, I suppose, because I, I enjoyed all the films except Hugo. Yeah. Probably Midnight in Paris and Tree of Life are my favourite too, though. Yeah. And and pretty much, Tom, it's in the bag for the artist, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Damn. It's looking pretty good for the artist. Don't go out on a limb on this category. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There we go. We've, we've, I think we've pretty comprehensively looked at these categories. I think we've done a pretty good job. Yeah, we've got uh, our favourites and also our predictions, and uh, hopefully you guys will be tuning into the Oscars as well to see see how it plays out. Yes. Thanks heaps, Tom, for uh, for joining us for a very special screen verdict. It was a lot of fun. Thanks yeah. for letting me trash on uh, my least favourite films, because you know, rants are good in podcasts. Yeah. Too. Oh, no, we want the rants. <laughs> we love the rants. Yeah, 
No, uh, so yeah, thanks very much. And obviously, people can go to goldderby.com to follow the Oscars, to get all the lodge predictions, uh, do, do all these sorts of crazy things, go to the forums, read the odds, the racetrack odds, everything. You can do that at goldderby.com, number one site to be following the Oscars the next couple of weeks. Isn't that right, Tom? Absolutely. (laughs) So, yeah, thanks for joining us, Tom. Thanks a lot, Tom. Yeah. Good speaking to you. Thank you, guys. Yeah, and uh, we'll be posting this podcast in a couple of days, and I'll send you a link when it's up. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. Well, there you have it, guys. An Oscar podcast. Wonder who will win. Don't really wonder. It's the artist. (laughs) Yes. But uh, it only comes around once a year, so uh, get excited. Yeah. It's nice not to get too stressed about these things because we sort of know who's winning. <laughs> Don't need to worry. We're in the industry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we hope you guys enjoyed that and we hope yeah. you enjoy the Oscars. Yes. And don't forget, uh, if you're a new listener to Screen Verdict, great to have you on board. You can like us on Facebook to get all our updates for our new movie review and TV show review podcast. It's uh, the thing to be doing. If you have any opinions on the TV shows, films, reviews, you have some, something to say about the Oscars, you can... Post questions and comments on the Facebook Screen Verdict page, and we answer all those, and uh, yeah, might get a shout-out on the podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See you guys. Um, hopefully one day you'll all win an Oscar. <laughs>